you can find your seat, we're going to get started. Um, I'm pretty excited to be here with you tonight. Um, it, uh, it is spring break for Lindenwood. If, uh, if you're a college student and you're here on spring break, I think you should get some sort of a, a, like a loyalty rewards customer program thing. Uh, like we give you more stars on your, on your chart or something. But um, <clears throat> we have a lot of amazing stuff happening right now at Matthias's Lot. It's a really exciting season of growth, of new things, um, new territory that we're covering that, that we've never been to before. Um, but the most exciting thing that's happening this week uh, is the Ecuador trip, the team that we have that are, that are down in Ecuador. If you've been to Ecuador, raise your hand. Yay for the, for the few that are still here. That's good. We, so, so we support a missionary team uh, who run an organization called Compassion Connection International uh, down in Ecuador. And uh, Mark, along with 28 other people, are down there with him uh, this week supporting them. And, and right now, I think they're probably uh, zonked out, hopefully getting some rest after a long day of uh, work and, uh, and labor for the kingdom. So we're excited to, to see them again when they get back in a few days. But, uh, but tonight, we're going to keep going. Uh, we're not going to go uh, journeying through Hebrews tonight. Uh, sorry to let you down if you came really expecting the Hebrews show, uh, but we're going to sidestep it a little bit and go into um, a text that's in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we're going to look at um, a situation in which Jesus is, is, is trying to clarify uh, what the Christian life is going to look like for his disciples. They come to him with certain expectations, and he comes back at them with an answer, with a clarifying answer that they don't expect, um, nor do they imagine that, that they could face it. Um, but thinking about this text all week has really gotten me thinking about um, recent expectations in my life that have been fulfilled. And the most exciting thing that happened in my life is the birth of my first uh, son, child. Um, he, uh, his name's Reed. And uh, I tell you what, he was, he, Sarah, my wife, brought him uh, for the first time to church uh, in the first service. I was hoping that he would just get saved and miraculously walk up front and we'd do an altar call and we'd just be done with that earlier on. Um, but she brought him tonight, and I so wanted to have her stand up and do like the Lion King thing where the monkey just holds it up and then everybody bows down. And um, That's probably a bad thing to say when you're um, in a church pulpit. Um, but, but thinking about all these expectations has me thinking about uh, what I expected parenthood to be like. And I've only been a parent for a little less than two months, so I don't really have that much uh, to go off of, but I had different expectations about what it was going to be to, to have a child, um, to raise a child, to be a father, um, to, to be a parent along with my wife. Um, I think this is what I expected he was going to be like. Um, this is the, uh, the well-known logo of the Gerber brand. This is the Gerber baby. Uh, a woman um, randomly shouted out in the first service that it's a boy. Uh, I'm sorry, that it's a girl named Sarah. Uh, I thought it was my wife who said that, and then I got mad that she was talking in the middle of my sermon. But but when you look at this baby, this is kind of what I expected. Um, I expected something kind of like this. Uh, this baby's really peaceful. Uh, he's, he's she, or she, I don't know what you want to say. I'm going to call him a he. You can, you can believe it's a girl if you want. I'm sticking with a boy. <laughs> but, but he is looking intently into, into you. Uh, regardless of what you're doing, he's really interested in you. Um, it's kind of like one of those weird paintings. Wherever you go in the room, I feel like he's watching you and he's looking at you. Um, but, but he's not fussy. He's quiet. Um, he's not demanding in any way. Pretty predictable. Um, now, that's what I expected. This is what I got. Um, this, is, this is my son. Um, not in his finest hour. 
Um, my guess, uh, anytime he looks like this, it's time to eat, and he's not eating yet. So um, I think he gets that from me. I look like that when I start to get hungry and I don't get food <laughs> right away. But, but this is him. Um, now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I don't want you to hear me say that, that what we've been given is just this big chore, this taxing thing that's not fun. Uh, it's quite amazing. And one smile is worth a day full of crying, and I've, I've weighed those options before because he's cried an entire day and then smiled, and, and then I've just forgotten about all the hours that he spent crying. But, but when I look at him, he's a little different than what I expected. Um, on the plus side, he's much cuter than I expected he would be for sure. He doesn't look like it there, but he's pretty cute. Um, but he's, he's kind of fussy. Um, he's hungry a lot. He wants to eat like every other hour, which doesn't work for my diet because I'm trying to, to spread out my meals. But he wants to eat like every other hour. Um, he, he, he's real whiny. He sleeps in weird time frames. I thought he would just want to go down to sleep at like... 10 o'clock like mom and dad and wake up at 6, but uh, he's, he's really not about that. He wakes up at weird times. He's kind of a night owl so far. Um, and he spits up all over everything. I, I had to check the shirt because if I hold him or touch him for a second, I, I just assume nowadays I'm going to have something on me that doesn't belong there. Um, he's, and yes, he has gone to the bathroom on my hands uh, a few times, and um, that's, yeah, that's more surprising, not that funny, I guess, but... Uh, but if, if you see him at a future date, if you see him at a, a future service, you're more than welcome to go up to him and meet him and, um, and, and hold him as long as you wash your hands ten times and bathe in, in, um, in, in uh, you know, Purex. Uh, parents are weird about germs in their kids. But, but this is what we got. Um, now, in, in many ways, he's so much better than what we expected. He's better than what uh, I thought um, having a child would be. But in so many ways, the, the reality that, that I expected um, didn't line up with what I had already anticipated. The expectations I had didn't line up with what God had given me. And so tonight, as we get into this text, if you want to take that down, I'm, it, it bothers me slightly to see him crying. Um, if, uh, if you can tonight, we're going to jump into a text at the end of Matthew in which Jesus is clarifying some things. Now, his disciples have expectations about what they're going to face, and uh, what he comes back with is something that they, uh, that they wouldn't expect. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24, and we're going to make it through uh, Matthew 24, 3 through 14 tonight. When you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. I want to do it the other way one of these days, but it wouldn't be fair to somebody who can't find it. So uh, if you can't find it, please ask somebody around you, and they can help you find it. But we're going to uh, look at your Bibles as I read Matthew 24, 3 through 14. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then 
the end will come. So we're going to start doing some work tonight. Um, put up verse 3. This is uh, Jesus. It says, um, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now to understand the context of this question and why they're asking this, we have to, we have to figure out what is happening around this to cause them to want to say that. Well, um, in Matthew 23, we get this, uh, we, we get the account of what Jesus uh, did in his final week in Jerusalem. We get the account of his final days as he spent it there with his disciples. He had been uh, back in the place that would be the capital of, of, his, of his kingdom, so to speak, on, on this earth, as many would think about it. And he had been teaching in the synagogues and interacting with people and doing a lot of amazing things. Uh, but at the end of Matthew 28, it's actually a very sad picture because um, he doesn't walk out of Jerusalem rejoicing. He's, he's overlooking Jerusalem and, and lamenting, sadly, um, that the, the people that should have embraced him most um, have actually rejected him the most largely. And so he's walking out of Jerusalem, heading eastward toward the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And, uh, and then they start um, making some comments. Put up Matthew 24, 1 and 2, the verses that go before the ones we're going into tonight. It says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, uh, for any of you English majors, Jesus, uh, Jesus speaks in a lot of double negatives here, uh, a sentence with way too many no's, um, to tell them basically that, that what they're being impressed by, what they're looking upon, um, is all going to come down. If you know anything about who the disciples were, they were mostly from Galilee. They were mostly fishermen and common people who had never been around something so amazing as the, as the temple, the Jewish temple. I uh, put up my picture of the temple here. Now, this is, uh, this is not the real temple. Uh, the real temple was taken down, was destroyed in Jerusalem in, uh, in 70 AD. But this is a model of, of the temple. I don't know if it's Lego or if it's like Connects or, or, or Lincoln Logs or something. But, but this is a model that exists today in the, in the actual Jerusalem Museum. Now, it's a 150th to scale model. If you take this, and imagine there's people behind this in the picture that you can see in the top. If you increase this by 50 times, you get the actual size of the temple. Now, this was a pretty amazing structure. This was rebuilt by King Herod, um, and we talked about this. Mark talked about this in the Christmas service. He built this amazing temple. Even people who feared him uh, praised him for the, the architecture that he commissioned. Uh, this was the most, um, most amazing, most magnificently looking architectural building in the ancient Near East in its day. So the disciples are walking out and looking up at this and saying, um, this is pretty amazing. And they're knowing that Jesus is leaving Jerusalem, that the plan is set in motion, that that what he said he's going to do is, is what he's doing. He's, he's on his mission. His path is set. And so I think they're wondering, um, after Jesus accomplishes his victory, will everything look like this? Will he make everything this pretty? And so Jesus comes back here uh, and echoes something that, if you look at the next picture, that's going to happen. Uh, this is actually what, uh, what is excavated today. Uh, this is one part of the temple that's left in Jerusalem. In 70 AD, the emperor of Rome, Titus, uh, came in and with his armies tore down most of Jerusalem, in including the blessed temple that, that was the place where the, the Jews were to meet with God, to be with him in his presence. And so this is what's left along with the Western Wall, which you see most uh, Orthodox Jews coming to pray at today. Uh, it's a fraction left of what was once a magnificent building. I don't think that they probably believed him at first. It makes me think of all the people who didn't think um, that the Titanic was a ship that could go down because it was so big and it was so magnificent. 
I think it was a similar thought here where they thought that this, um, this thing is too great that it can't be brought down. Um, but then Jesus says it is. So in Matthew 3, they, they asked him this question. Or Matthew 24, 3, it says, And as he's sitting there on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming in the close of the age? You can feel as the question progresses, you can feel their excitement start to rise up. So, so Jesus says this temple is going to be brought down. And, and they had a connection in their mind thinking that once the temple goes down in a Jewish understanding of the end times that the Messiah will return and uh, vindicate them, free them from oppression and make all things right right away. It would be a quick process. And so they start asking, you know, when, okay, when's this going to happen? I'm bummed that this temple I just uh, was, was impressed by is going to come down. But okay, if it's going to come down, tell us when the next stuff is going to happen because we're ready for the good stuff. And there's four things, if you look up here, there's four things that we're going to see tonight in this text. Four things about the Christian life that Jesus is saying that we have to embrace and hold to and participate in. The first one you see up here is have accurate expectations. We see that the disciples um, had expectations that, in hindsight and retrospect, we know that they were, were very incorrect, very wrong, and very skewed. And so they're asking some things about when Jesus is going to come, when he's going to reappear, um, and this immediacy that they're applying to is, is, is way off base. It's far wrong. And I wonder, how often, um, I wonder how often we have just wrong expectations about the Christian life. We, we can think sometimes that, that the, the step of faith that we take to accept Jesus, to follow him in the beginning, that that's the hardest day and everything else is, is good. We're, we're, we're heading into paradise here. We're heading into the place where all things are going to work out. This is, this is the, the way it should be. Um, but... But what we know about the Gospels is that things got dramatically harder as time went on for the disciples after uh, Jesus left. And so I, I wonder if, if just our expectations today are way off base. If we wake up confessing something with our mouth and saying that um, I'm ready for this lifestyle, I'm ready to follow Jesus, but our expectations as far as what that's going to look like are, are far wrong. We often want to follow Jesus uh, when it's convenient and when it works out well within our schedules and when it provides a lot of fruit that we can enjoy. Um, but Jesus comes back with an answer in the next few verses that is very different than that. So the next few verses it says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. I bet they didn't accept, uh, expect him to say that. In verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not afraid or alarmed. Uh, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. So the first thing we saw from verse 3 is that we have to have accurate expectations. The second thing that we're going to learn from this is that we have to expect external opposition. Expect external opposition. Um, looking back up at these verses, um, we see that, that Jesus is describing things that they didn't expect. Um, he's saying, see that no one leads you astray in verse 4. Be ready because things are going to happen that are going to tempt you to want to walk away from what you believe. In verse 5, he says, and many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and, and, then, and then they will lead many astray. Many people um, in the time frame of the disciples' lifetime after Jesus died and raised, that many people denied the resurrection and, and then rose up saying, well, Jesus didn't do his job. We're still under Roman oppression. We're still slaves, so to speak. So I'm going to step up and do it right. Many other people stepped up to try to, to try to be that, claiming that they were Christ, and sought to lead many astray. And then we see in verse 6, 
and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. They're thinking that the end is there, but he's saying, no, the end's not yet. Hold on. And even in the beginning of verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We even see this today. I mean, in their time, the, the, the large amount of the middle 60s A.D. to early 70s was spent in a Judean-Roman revolt and battle against one another, um, Israel fighting for their freedom. And today we even see this where, where the, the external forces out there um, seem just to be in a crazy situation. Um, any news junkies in here? Anybody watch, like, what's your favorite news program? What's that called? Okay, fair enough. Anybody else? Fox News. Okay, big hit, especially in the church usually. Um, but, but, but praise God that you're informed. Like, if you watch the news for any amount of time, especially in news that, that doesn't just focus on what's happening here in America, you, you see that the way things are in the world outside of us is very, very um, dramatically wrong. Um, nations fighting against nations continually. Um, now, I don't want to act like these are all just things that are relevant to us today as we look at our present. Jesus is saying these statements to these disciples um, because they have relevancy to their lives. Because we have to pay attention to that when we look at how we read the Gospels, the statements that Jesus makes. We have to always examine how did this come true in their lifetime? Because he didn't say things that, that were irrelevant to their lives where they were at. Um, but then here in the latter part of verse 7, we see that there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. In 46 AD, there was a huge famine that resulted in the loss of life of countless people um, who died because they didn't have enough food to eat. And in, in verse uh, 7 in the end, we see that uh, earthquakes will happen. In 61 AD, before the temple was taken down, there was a large amount of earthquakes that happened in, in a small time frame. Now, again, we see this happening where they were, but we also see this happening here, too. It seems like we can't turn on the TV and watch uh, Fox News or any other channel without, without sh looking at natural disasters and things that are happening around the world, things that shouldn't be that way. The famines and hunger going on right now in Darfur and Somalia and places like that are almost too unbearable to watch. I mean, sometimes you can watch so much of the news that you just get sick and just have to turn it off because it's so bad out there. Uh, but Jesus is saying in verse 8 here, he says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Um, in John 16, uh, John backs this up with Jesus' words as he records them. And Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So he's promising uh, the way things are going to be in the world are going to be difficult. And they're going to be tough, and they're gonna be, um, there's going to be a battle and an ongoing fight, but take heart. As much as you think that this is winning, don't forget that I have overcome the world, and victory is mine. But looking back at verse 8, as he closes out this, the, these first set of sayings, he's saying, he says that all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now, I didn't look at um, my Bible concordance and just look up birth and just picked a, a verse that had birth in it so I could talk about my kid, though it was pretty tempting. Um, He's saying these are but the beginning of birth pains. Um, any moms in the house who've, who've given birth to a child? Any moms? Yes, we've got a couple. Uh, praise God. Um, I've never been through birth pains personally. Um, I rejoice in that. I count myself very lucky that I've never had to, to go through that. I know that, that there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in which he uh, became pregnant, but I, I pray that that never happens in reality because then that means men would have to experience birth pains. But... 
But Jesus is saying that all these things that are happening are just the start of birth pains. And I know that as we were uh, preparing to, to go to the hospital and to give birth uh, to Reed, I should say as my wife was preparing to give birth to Reed, um, the, the weeks leading up to his actual due date were, were pretty um, nervous and hectic and crazy. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times on both hands we woke up thinking, well, today's got to be the day because the pains are getting worse. Um, and I don't care how much a doctor tells you, oh, you'll just know when the pains are far enough. You'll know when it's right. I don't care how much they say that. We were a basket case trying to figure out, well, how much is too much? My wife's pain tolerance is exponentially greater than mine. Uh, what would be like a medium, moderate level pain for her would have me crawled up in the corner uh, crying and sucking my thumb in the fetal position. Um, so then I'm even thinking, okay, is this really bad? Is, I mean, if she says it's bad, how bad is that? Because I'm, I'm thinking, okay, if we wait too long to take her to the hospital, she's going to have the baby in the car on Highway 40, and we're not going to have any idea what we're doing. You, you see it in the movies all the time. And, and so, so you're trying to figure out all, every single day leading up to this, this pain that's coming, the struggles that are coming, you're wondering, is this it? Uh, this has to be it because this is so much worse than yesterday, and I, I don't think I can take any much more uh, than this. So thinking back on what Jesus is saying here, all these things that are happening outside of them, within the world, they're seeing all these things happen that are so painful and horrible. And with, every, with every new thing that he's describing here, I think in their own lives, the disciples years later would be wondering at times, is this it? I know that this is happening outside there. Is this it? This, this has to be the end because this is too bad to keep going on. But Jesus says this is the beginning of birth pains, the beginning of something um, much greater that is yet to come. It's only the beginning of, of, uh, of the hardship. So we're going to jump on to the next few verses here. And um, verses 9 through 12 it says, Then they will, this is Jesus continuing his statement, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So we saw first from the first verse that we have to have accurate expectations. And we saw from the second group of verses that we have to expect external opposition. Now the third thing that we see from this is that we have to expect not only external but internal opposition. Not only is the fight and the struggle going to be in the world outside of us, but, but it's going to come home. It's going to come to each and every one of us. And looking at, at verse 9, we see that, uh, that he's pretty clear that, that the fight is going to come right to our doorstep. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. How do you think the disciples felt right at this point? They, they're, they're stepping forward to say, Jesus, tell us when these things are going to happen. Because we know that you're about ready to do what you said you would do. So, all right, sign us up. We're in line. We're ready. I took my number. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the, for the show to happen. And then he's giving this answer that's, um, on the surface, extremely discouraging. Looking at verse 10, we see that uh, he, he continues on, and he says, not only will you and people among you be put to death, uh, but he says that many will fall away and betray one another. We see that the loyalty that comes through and the faith that comes through um, in the lives of people who are persecuted for righteousness' sake 
in Revelation, uh, the, Revelation 12 says this. John says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven, saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who, who accuses them day and night before our God. And this is the kicker. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved their lives, not even unto death. John's depicting something that's happening in his vision of what is, what is to come when he's saying that the people who proclaim uh, to be Christ followers, who, who preach the gospel, who spread his word, uh, won't abandon it even to the point of death. They're not going to hold on to anything of this world even to the point of the ultimate sacrifice. And so as we look at uh, this, this verse 10, going back into, uh, into Matthew, it says that, that many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Now we have to remember that this isn't outside. This is the, the verses and the focus have shifted to internal struggle. So not only is there going to be obvious opposition from the world outside, but there's going to be internal fight and struggle within the people who claim to be the people of God. This word that's used for the phrase fall away here in verse 10, uh, I love it. It's, it's called scandalizo. And what does that sound like? Scandal. So, so this, this falling away, it means offense, the scandalizo word does. And so what he's saying is that many will, will, will offend their calling, will turn from their calling so much. It'll be so offensive that, that what they claim to, to live their lives by will be the very thing that they turn away from. And they'll betray one another and hate one another. What started off as, as what seemed like genuine fellowship will turn to um, very uh, bad hatred of one another. It sounds pretty bad. And then he says in verse 11, many false prophets will arise and, and lead many astray. Not only will people fight within one another, um, but, but other people will rise up and will seek to lead other people away from the gospel. And this happened uh, time and time again throughout the life of the early church in these disciples' lives. But we also see these things happening today. Moving on in verse 12, it says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Because the lack of God's will, God's order, God's law being in this world, because th that will lack and decrease more and more, because it, you won't see it, the love of many will grow cold. It's almost like, it's almost like some people have a, um, this, this understanding, this, this truth they confess with their mouths but don't believe it with their heart. They had um, sort of a flame inside them, but it's almost like it just goes out over time. They couldn't, they couldn't last. Um, as you look at these things, so deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You're hated by all nations. People will fall away. Many false prophets will arise, and, and law, lawlessness will be increased. Love of many will grow cold. We can see this playing around, uh, playing out in our, in our world today. Um, sometimes we see it playing out most in the places where we live, the places that have been given so much. Um, people standing up to lead other people away from the true gospel of Jesus into some perverted false gospel of, of, of affluence and, and, and self-riches instead of self-sacrifice. We see many people that, that, that claim to be something within us that, that turn away, and, and it can be extremely discouraging. First uh, John is, is all about this, is very concerned with this. John writes this about people who, who were with them but then left. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, it, that it might become plain that they are not of us. 
this idea of apostasy happening within the church, apostasy being the, the thing that happens when somebody turns away from their beliefs, somebody that you think you can trust and rely on who turns on you, and not only turns on you, but turns on this gospel, it's going to happen. So there's external opposition happening all out there. Um, but there's also uh, opposition from the inside, from within the church that will happen if the true gospel is maintained and preached because it will be offensive to those who don't belong. And by don't belong, I mean that, they, that God's not allowing them to belong, but, but they're claiming to be something that they're not. And so I don't know um, where you're at tonight. I don't know what, what your questions are as you kind of work through this and struggle through this, but, um, but I think the disciples would have been asking some questions like, is this it? Jesus, you, you left us. Yes, you resurrected, but, but you're not here with us now. Is this it? What's the purpose in this? Um, is there a reason for any of this? Is God still involved in any of this? And, and if you're asking these questions in your life, right now I just want to encourage you that, that Jesus is giving these verses um, as part of his answer to, to bring comfort. Um, in the New Testament, especially when you get the prophetic writings that seem very difficult for us to understand, we have to realize that, that they were first given to their original audiences speaking in language that they understood in order to make things clearer, not make things harder. So, so people who are finding themselves within these situations where people are turning away and, and so much opposition is still happening within the church that Jesus is, is reminding them that this is something that still has to happen. Um, the gospel is going to cause this response. So we saw that, um, that uh, you have to have accurate expectations. We saw that you have, to have, um, you have to expect external opposition and you have to expect internal opposition. Um, we'll move on to verses uh, 13 and 14, the last two verses of this uh, text. Um, Jesus says in verse 13, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, and then the end will come. Um, the first three, three things that we saw, the, the expectations, the external opposition coming our way, the internal opposition coming our way, um, those are all fine and dandy, but it's coupled with this fourth truth that we see in this, that, that we as Christians today have to be prepared to suffer well as the gospel goes forth. Suffer well as the gospel goes forth. I love some of the words in these, in these verses, if you want to put back up 13 and 14, this, this phrase, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I love the word saved, not just because of salvation, but because the Greek word is implying not just the, the definition of saved, but also something that's delivered or made whole, made right. So Jesus is saying not that somebody who, who is strong enough to, to persevere through trials can earn their salvation. He's not saying that. But he's saying the one who, who lasts through this, who, who doesn't fall away, who sacrifices everything and is bruised and battered and cut and, and scraped, on the other end, they're going to be made whole and restored and made right. And then in verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. It seems like the gospel... All along the way, as all these tribulations and all these persecutions are happening, the gospel's going out. And so often in our lives, we, we think that we're doing the right thing when things seem easier to us. We think that we're living right as Christians when, 
when life seems to gel and, and, and work out the way that we think it should. We think that we must be doing God's work pretty well when things work out. It seems like what Jesus is saying here in these verses is that you should actually know that you're doing your job well the harder it gets against the world. I love how uh, Acts 5 uh, puts it when the, uh, when the apostles were facing this situation. It says, they, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. You would expect the apostles to walk away and run away and save their lives at this point. In verse 41, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. In verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. It seemed like in, in a situation that would make us cower and, and step back and, and, and reevaluate and wonder if we're doing things right, it seems like the apostles being beat and misaligned and slandered and, and hurt in some of the worst ways, it seemed like that was confirmation that they were actually doing the right thing. And so we see here in the end that the end's not going to come from um, the, the greater that suffering gets. The end is only going to come, it's only going to be determined when the gospel goes out uh, to the whole kingdom, to the whole world. I've heard it said in, in this way, the kingdom will only come, the new age will only arrive when all things are made right. That's only going to come when everyone, every people group on this planet has an opportunity to either accept or reject the king. Then the kingdom will come. So, the, the picture looks uh, pretty tough here on out. It's a far cry from, from some cheesy uh, song or, or, or you know, some acronym that we can have on a bracelet. It's pretty, pretty hard. Um, but a question that we're still left with, a question that, that I still end up wrestling with a lot in this is, um, what does it look like to suffer well? Uh, because we're told to face situations that, that are going to amount to suffering. We're told to, to, to embrace uh, suffering and trials when they come, but, but what does it look like to suffer well? There's three things that, that, that I see that we can pull from this. The first one is this. Uh, suffering well for the gospel identifies us with Jesus. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 16 through 18. He said, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul is even saying here that, that our call is to identify with Jesus, um, following him into the sufferings, participating into the lifestyle that he himself led. The question is, um, what does your life identify with? Which Jesus are you following? Because it seems to me, and they're hard questions for all of us asking them too, it seems to me that the Jesus of the Gospels lived a life that was, um, that was difficult. It was sacrificial. Uh, one man in John's Gospel asked Jesus, he came up to him and he said, he didn't ask him, he just made a statement. He said, I want to follow you. And Jesus' answer in, in due, cryptic, but amazingly profound fashion was, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That was his answer to him. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is telling him, yeah, you can follow me, but if you follow me, this is where you're going to go. Um, I don't have much. 
Most people on the outside think that I'm a failure. They don't believe in me. But my true treasure is found in my relationship with the Father. So the second thing that we see about suffering well for the gospel is this. Suffering for the gospel glorifies God. This may not seem like a big profound aha moment to some of you guys. It seems like it's pretty straightforward or pretty uh, much to be expected. But, but suffering well for the gospel glorifies God for his glory and not ours. It's really easy, I think, to suffer in some heroic endeavor for, for the gospel when somebody else is watching. When people can look at us and say, oh man, I, look at how much that guy or, or, or that woman suffers for the gospel. Man, I, I want to be like them. And First Peter says it in this way, that directs the glory in a very specific way. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him suffer, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And this is the opportunity that we have. In any struggles that we have, in any, any persecutions we face, any sufferings that we willingly take on because the gospel is in our life, gives us this opportunity. Not to point to ourselves as people who are better people because we suffer more. Not, I don't want to wear a, like a, a Rambo for Jesus t-shirt and make people look at me and think of how cool I am. Uh, the opportunity when somebody sees me treasure the gospel, treasure Christ, is proof to them that my true value lies with him and not with the things that I give up along the way. And so, you know, I can't say specific things for every single one of you um, in the very clear ways that you, need to, that you need to suffer. All of our situations are different. Um, all of our opportunities are different because of where we're at in our life. But, but I can say that if you're going to suffer for God's glory, then it means that, that you'll make different decisions at work. I can say that when, gospel, uh, when gossip comes up in front of you, that, that, that turning and running away and acting like it's not there is not something that, um, that's to be had. Uh, I can't say that for any sacrifice that you make financially, time, life, goal, all these things that we do, um, setting aside the glory of ourselves for the glory of God is the call that we have. Um, and so the opportunity that you have, if you find yourself in a situation right now where you find that you're struggling and sacrificing in some way because the gospel is growing in its power inside you. The spirit is, is coming alive inside you more and more. Um, I hope that in this time that you see your opportunity is to say that, that Jesus is glorious and, and not savoring every opportunity you have to let other people look at you and think that you're the best thing. So we know that suffering well for the gospel identifies us with Jesus. We know that Suffering for the gospel well glorifies God. And this third thing, it seems straightforward, but, but check this out. Suffering for the gospel well happens when we seek the gospel. I'm not convinced that Paul ever walked into a town looking to pick a fight. You know, I don't think he was bravehearting it and just walking in to see if he could, you know, stir up the muck. I think Paul walked into a city saying that, yes, you see all these scriptures, all these things that, that we've been proclaiming, Jesus fulfills all that. 
and he is all and in all. When he proclaimed that, when he stood up for this gospel and, and clearly said what it was and testified to it, when he acted it out and lived it out in his life, suffering found him. So as much as it may be a temptation for us to walk out of here and wear our suffering for Jesus t-shirts and walk out in the street and rip them off and say, yes, I'm ready to die for Jesus. Come on, bring it on. As much as we're ready to, to do that figuratively, it seems like the call is not to seek suffering for suffering's sake, but seek the gospel and expect suffering to come. The ways of the gospel, the ways of God are in enmity with the ways of this world. And it doesn't mean that we cut and run from this world. That's why we do things like we live St. Charles. That's why we live missional lives. We seek to, to, to reach within this world uh, to, pull hope, um, to pull hopeless people out of it and give them the hope of Christ. But, but the ways of this world as it is, is in complete opposition to the gospel. Make no mistake of that. So I, I just want to ask you, are you suffering well for the gospel? Are you, are you suffering at all? I know there's times in my life where I feel like I've, I've had to sacrifice less and do less, but, but I do know that the times when I've grown the most in my relationship with Jesus was when, was when I was able to lay everything back on the line for him. And it was painful and it was tough. But those are the opportunities for us to grow. Not, not when we're filled up and we amass all the, all the stuff we can for Jesus and when things get easier. I think we, I think we just think often that we're just going to, I'm just going to go on vacation and go find myself with Jesus, you know. Or the classic like post-college, I'm going to go to Colorado and go find, you know, go find Jesus out there or something. Um, I did that, by the way, so don't think that I'm, I'm like hypocritical, but... But I think that we think that we, we need to like disconnect and go somewhere else to some serene environment to find Christ in new ways. And it seems like he's saying, no, if you, if you follow me, you're going to follow me where I go. Uh, Jesus is exalted right now at the right hand of God, and that's where we seek to be. That's the inheritance that we wait for. But, but he had to die first to get there. And so if, if you're following the Jesus of the Gospels, I hope that, that, that the life that you're living, the life that you're seeking after is a life that... Um, that embraces the lifestyle that he had. Um, so that when people looked upon him, they knew that something was different. They knew that his treasure was different. They knew that his hope could not have been in all the, the, all the commodities of the day. I don't know that we're going to get it anytime in this age that we're in. I don't know that we're ever going to really get or grasp the reasoning or the value of why we're doing what we do. Uh, sometimes I get glimpses of it, and I get hints of it, and it seems like I, I understand that it's all worth it sometimes, but um, I think we're just going to have to get there to the end, basking in the glory of God, being completely surrounded by his presence and wrapped up and satisfied by his character. And then and only then I think we'll be able to look back on, on days like today and times like this and say it was all worth it. Um, at the time when Sarah and I were, uh, were going through everything, preparing for uh, Reed to get here, we didn't understand the reasoning and the hows and the whys and the values of why everything uh, had to be the way it had to be. We didn't understand why we had to sacrifice certain things. We didn't always understand why her body had to go through so much. Um, but we got this. I'll put your picture up there. Yeah, I was, I was hoping that that would be a good response. Um, some people say he looks like me with, you know, with Sarah's lips, but uh, 
I think it's pretty cute. Um, we doubted so often going into the end. I mean, I was, I was scared and nervous that I wouldn't even be able to love this child in ways that I would need to. I, I was scared that Sarah wasn't going to love him more than she loves her dogs. If you know my wife, you know that she's a, a huge dog person, and so am I by proxy now. So, I mean, I was afraid how all this was going to work out. Is this even possible? Um, but the moment that, that he was born, uh, the first moment where we both heard uh, that first cry, there's no way we could have expected it. But we just turned and, and just looked at each other uh, and just started bawling. And we couldn't have prepared ourselves for that. It no, no amount of, 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 of strenuous you know, preparation and, and sacrifice and struggle could have helped us to really understand why we were doing everything. But in the end, looking at this kid, this amazing miracle, this gift of God's grace, we look back on all the, the birth pains of before, all the struggles before, and the only thing we can say is, hey, it was worth it. <laughs> I'll do it again. Um, so I think, that's, I think this is close to where we're at here. Um, if you're struggling to, to keep going, through trials that are going on in your life right now, then um, I can just say keep going. Be faithful. The two greatest marks of discipleship that I'm learning so far is not how eloquent somebody speaks, how well they can define certain terms in the Bible, um, but how well they can endure and keep going. Why don't you guys stand with me?